Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, also, can you let my my older brother Dewey, uh, let him know how much you appreciate him being here to share his gifts and talents with us. I don't know. I always have a hard time. Um, I don't want to. I have a tendency to yell sometimes whenever I preach. I don't think anyone's ever noticed that from me. And so I always want to be very reserved whenever we do our opening worship segs. I want to lose my voice. But after that one, we're probably going to have no voice, Kenny, in about five minutes into the sermon here. So bear with me. Guys, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. And if you're just joining us, we've been, um, we've been in a study throughout the book of Hebrews to start off this year. And I don't know about you, but it's been very fruitful um, in my life and just been needing the, re- the, the reminder that I get to go before the throne of grace. I get to go before Almighty God because of what Jesus has done for me, and he has grace and mercy for me every single time in my time of need. I don't know about you, but that's something that's easy to say, and a lot of times it's a whole lot harder to actually remember and practice whenever you are in a time of need. And that's what a lot about what we're going to talk about today. But if you are with me in Hebrews chapter 5, look with me down in verse 7. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he had suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You guys pray with me one more time. We'll get into this a little bit further. Oh, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit to ask you to bless this moment. Thank you for your uh, living word that is powerful and active and piercing in our lives. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will open up all of our hearts and all of our souls to hear from you, to receive from you, to be encouraged by you, equipped by you, and convicted by you. Thank you for who you are. I pray that all the distractions and stresses of life would cease in this moment as we focus on you and your goodness and your glory and your love. I pray your Holy Spirit fill me in a fresh way right now because I know without your spirit, without your truth, without your love, I cannot say anything of any significance or importance. So I pray that you be glorified and your spirit move in all of our hearts and minds today. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Now, my son, Fletcher, is a little over a year and a half right now. And I'll tell you, those terrible twos are coming early. And it's really not that fun (laughs) at all. I know some people get a little bent out of shape if I say anything negative about my son, but, Julie, (laughs) but uh, I do not love my son any less at all. I, I would not trade him for anything in the world. I love him so much. Him and his mom are at the beach right now. I wish I could be with them. I wish they could be with me. I love my son. I love being a dad so much. I just want to be open and honest that having a toddler is a lot, <laughs> you know, especially in this stage, because I think so many people are encouraged, can be encouraged by this, because there are, I know other parents who have had toddlers or have toddlers right now, they like to be open and honest about the struggle. We have to be open and honest that these kids can be difficult sometimes. And the people who are much seasoned veterans who are grown now, they like to see us struggling right now in this season of life. 
But I tell you, the stage that Fletcher's in, this kid will throw an absolute tantrum right now whenever he doesn't get what he wants. Now, the, the other week, we were at a, another birthday party for, for another young girl. It was a two-year-old birthday party, and Fletcher went over there. Normally, when we're out in public, Fletcher would be okay. You know, he'd, he'd give it to us at home sometimes, you know, but whenever we're out in public, he would never really throw tantrums or anything like that because he was more shy and more reserved around a bunch of people he didn't know. I tell you, this kid don't care anymore. He does not care at all anymore. We're at this party, and they have these nice little mini cupcakes that are out on display, and he, he had a couple, but then he wanted more. And we said, no, you cannot have five or six cupcakes. And, you, and then as soon as we told him no, you would think we just sawed his arm right off of his body. He starts screaming and wailing. And other parents know what it's like to be in that position where you're out in public, you're around a bunch of people you don't really know, your kids start screaming, and you and your spouse just look at each other like deer in the headlights. Like, what are you supposed to do right now? The only thing you can't do is give him what he wants, right? You can't give in to that. And so you guys just have to figure something out until he calms down. Now, it's much easier to handle these situations at home, right, when you're not around a bunch of people you barely know because you don't care how much he cries then because you don't have anyone to be embarrassed by around you. And so Fletcher, he has this tendency, right, he has this tendency where he, he likes to go outside. He wants to go outside no matter what temperature it is, no matter what the weather conditions are, he'll walk up to the back door and go, go, go. And then when he, he wants Jojo to go with him, our dog, so he's like, Dodo, Dodo, go, right? And then when he starts to realize he's not getting what he wants right away, he starts hitting the glass a little bit harder. Go, go. And that's when I'm like, bro, it's 20 degrees outside. It's pouring rain. You don't have socks and shoes on because you hate those too. You're not going outside right now. And that's when that lip comes out. And that's when he drops slowly to the floor, puts his face right into the hardwood and goes, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, you can cry as much as you want, dude. You're not getting what you want right here. It's not good for you and especially not with that attitude. Now, this is what came to my mind whenever I first read the writer of Hebrews write that Jesus was heard because of his reverence. And it convicted me about how many times does God have to just let me cry it out in my life? How many times am I just wailing and hollering at him because I'm not getting what I want when I want it rather than acknowledging that he is the one who sees the big picture. He's the one that actually knows best. How many times in our lives, even when we're going through difficult circumstances do we go, that we go through, do we lose the perspective and miss out on our sense of hope and our source of strength because we forget to give God the respect and the reverence and the trust that he deserves? How many times do I fail to check my attitude and my entitlement at the door whenever I approach the throne of grace? Because God is never going to give in to our tantrums, and he tunes out pride. That's why James says God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Now, I know enough of our stories in this room today to know that there are those of us who have experienced and are experiencing real spirit-crushing, life-altering pain and suffering in this life. And I refuse to minimize your pain in any way. Because like we talked about last week, Jesus does not minimize it. He's the high priest that sympathizes with you. He's the high priest that takes the time to feel every single ounce of pain that you feel like he showed when he wept at Lazarus' tomb. Because like a good father, 
God is able to discern the cries of his child. God knows whenever we're just throwing a tantrum. And he knows when we're crying out in agony. And he's able to discern that, and he is always there for us in our time of need. However, he doesn't always deliver us from the agony right away. But he does deliver us from the life-altering effects of that agony. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because we as Christians, we are not exempt from experiencing pain and suffering. And any type of theology you ever hear that say, if you just come to Jesus, all your problems are going away, that's not the case. Sometimes it feels like the problems start to pile on in a new way whenever you come to Jesus. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So we are not going to avoid trouble. We will not avoid suffering while we are on this earth. However, we as Christians, we are called to suffer well and follow the example of our great high priest. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 2, he says, For God called you to do good even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He says, to this you are called. This is the example that we are called to follow. But the question is, how? And the writer of Hebrews, he is writing to those that are experiencing more pain and suffering than any of us can imagine. He's writing to a group of people that literally have their lives and livelihoods on the line for their faith. Their friends and their families are being torn apart in Roman Colosseums because they claim to be Christians. And he's writing this to these people in that context. And in that context, he points his readers to Jesus who shows us exactly where we need to go to get exactly what we need whenever we are experiencing suffering in this life. Jesus gives us the example by showing us how he handled himself whenever he went through his suffering. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And in Luke's account, we get a glimpse into what he's talking about here. In Luke 22, it says, And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them only about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Here we see that Jesus endured suffering with faith. It's a little mind-boggling that the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus offered up his prayers to the one who was able to save him from death. He says he was heard by the one who was able to save him from death. He says the one that was able to save him from death sent an angel to strengthen him, yet he still let him die. And this is going to be one of the greatest hang-ups that we will ever have in our faith. Oh, you're a God who heals, so why am I still in pain? You're a God who saves, so why did I still lose my loved one? You're a God who restores, so why did my marriage still fall apart? It's the oldest argument in the book against Christianity. If God is apparently so good, why does he allow good things to happen, bad things to happen to good people? 
Well, first off, you have to be very careful about what your definition of good is because the Bible says no one is good except God alone. But also sickness, death, brokenness, all forms of pain and suffering exist because sin exists. We live in a broken world because sin exists. Now, God will not completely wipe out all sin as of yet because he would have to wipe all of us out with it because we are all sinful individuals. But he does promise a day will come where he will wipe away every tear from every eye and sin and pain and suffering will be no more. But until that day comes, he is still giving as many people the opportunity to come to him as possible. Now, I do not necessarily believe that God is the one who causes the pain in your life, but I do believe that he can use it. I firmly believe that we serve a God who works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the good, that's the bad, that's the ugly. He works all things. He is the one who can bring purpose to the pain. He can actually bring salvation through suffering. God can use our suffering. He can use our stories. He can use our trials in a number of different ways. And again, I do not believe that God is the creator of your pain and your suffering, but I believe that God can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for your good. Amen? So in one way he can use it for our first point for today, God can use suffering to lead us to faith. There are some that never give God or faith a single thought until something bad happens. And then more often than not, they get mad and they blame God for it. And, you know, I don't think God necessarily minds that all that much. Why? Because at least they're acknowledging him now. And the hope would be that their acknowledging of him will turn into faith in him and them leaning on him. C.S. Lewis, he once said, No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument, but it plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. If God has to use some form of suffering to get your attention, to get you to realize truth, I promise it'll be worth it. Because a pleasant life will not be worth the suffering of hell. But suffering in this life will be worth all the pleasures of heaven. That's why Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. And if some form of suffering is what leads you to eternal life, no matter how hurtful it may be, I promise it will be worth it. Because, like James says, this life is but a vapor. And you will have all of eternity to look forward to where there will be no more pain. He will wipe every tear from every eye and suffering will exist no more. And even for those of us who have already come to faith, sometimes God can use our suffering to steer us back to himself whenever we have lost focus on him. So God can use our suffering to lead us to faith so that we can be better prepared to follow the example of Jesus and endure our suffering with faith. Paul says in Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says, if you're a Christian, this suffering will not crush you. But rather, because you have God's spirit and love in your life, suffering will actually produce endurance, strength, and character in your life. And the more that endurance, strength, and character is produced, the more that you can have hope. That is the confident expectation that even in the midst of suffering, God is working in it and through it, not just to benefit you, but also everyone else around you. Because come on, if this life were easy all the time, we would never grow. We would never gain wisdom. We would never become stronger individuals. 
And the writer of Hebrews says that although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So we see from the example of Jesus that whenever we endure suffering with faith, suffering can actually be an opportunity to grow. In this context, the writer is saying that Jesus practiced obedience through his suffering. He shows us that suffering can actually be an opportunity to practice out our faith through obedience to God in the midst of difficult times. That's why James says in James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James tells us that it's actually through suffering and pain and trials, they're actually the avenue by which we can reach spiritual maturity in this life. You know, the, the New Testament says we can't be more like Jesus unless we suffer in some way. And like we've said before, that the goal of Christianity isn't to get other people to look like us, right? The goal of Christianity is for all of us to look like Jesus. But did you know it is impossible to look more like Jesus and not suffer in this life? It's impossible to be more like Jesus and not be abandoned at some point. It's impossible to be more like Jesus and not be betrayed. It's impossible to be more like Jesus and not offer forgiveness to those who have done absolutely nothing to earn it. You know, suffering can be a way that we can actually get to know the heart of Jesus more and a way to know the ways of God better. That's why David said in one, Psalm 119, it was good for me to be afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. Suffering can be one of the greatest teachers in our lives because pain and suffering will highlight the areas of our lives where we are weak and where we are lacking in faith. And suffering can lead us to lean on Jesus more. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about a thorn in the flesh that he was dealing with. He refers to it as a messenger from Satan. He says it was, this was tormenting him. Now, we don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. It could have been direct demonic oppression. You know, it could have been a strong temptation that was eating away at him that he kept struggling with. It could have been past regret that kept leading him to a place of mental condemnation. But whatever it was, it led Paul to write three times, I pleaded with the Lord. I begged the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul, he was able to get to the place where he was able to use his struggle. He was able to use his suffering as a way to depend on and lean on the strength of Jesus in an even more powerful way in his life. Because Paul was understanding more and more that the more that we endure suffering with faith, the more we realize that this suffering actually cannot destroy us. And sometimes we need to get to the place where we realize that there's nothing in this life that can be taken away from us that means more or is more powerful than the presence of Jesus in our lives right now. Sometimes God needs to use the suffering as a teacher for us to remind us that we're not dependent upon earthly things. Our joy is not dependent upon our comfortability or our health. Our purpose is not dependent upon getting a better paycheck. Therefore, we need to get to the place where we, we learn how to not praise our problems. Because we have a tendency to do that. 
We have a tendency to give our pain and our struggles and our problems all of our devotion and attention. And those are the only things that we ever want to talk about. And in turn, we give them more weight than we do the glory of God in our lives. However, whenever we endure suffering with faith, for our next point, we will learn to not glorify the suffering. The biblical term for glorify means to give weight to. And the weight of our suffering will never outweigh the goodness of God in our lives if we continually draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need. Because, you know, it could be argued that God's glory will actually be shown in greater ways in your life through suffering than it is through healing. Therefore, you know, the Christian is actually never a victim. Because no matter what form of suffering you endure, even from outside influences beyond your control, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. So whenever we endure suffering with faith, no matter what happens to us in this life, we cannot be separated from the love of God. And since you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you, that means whatever affliction the evils of this world hits you with, it will only make you stronger and give you another platform to display God's glory through your life. When you are weak, then you are strong because God's power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I am not here to tell you that your hurts and your struggles are not important. I'm not here to tell anyone you're experiencing suffering, you just need to get over it. Not at all. I'm just here to encourage you that in the midst of your hurt and your struggle, there is a hope that is more powerful than anything that could ever happen to you. There is a love that is greater than any hurt that could ever afflict you. And there is a God whose goodness holds so much more weight than the sufferings of this broken world. And there is a promise from 1 Peter that says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's the promise for you. And you know, the only times where our problems become the primary focus and consume our lives is whenever we try to fix them in our own power. Instead of taking them to him. Instead, we need to learn the example of Jesus. Again, his prayer in the garden was, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So this is what suffer, enduring suffering with faith looks like. We request that the cup be taken, but we rest in his will be done. Because the reality is he will take the cup from you. Just like he took the cup from Jesus. You might say, hold up, Kenny, wait a minute. How did he take the cup from Jesus? Jesus still went to the cross. He still died. However, if you go back to the original language, that phrase, take this cup, it literally means to remove the bitterness of suffering. Not necessarily removing the suffering itself, but removing the bitterness of it. So taking the cup wasn't necessarily a change of the circumstances. It was more of a change of the effect of the circumstances. Let me explain further. Again, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 7 that the God who was able to save him from death heard him. And that term heard actually means to have the request granted. 
So how was his request granted if Jesus still died? Again, you go back to the original language. The phrase, save him from death, means to free from the fear of death. To enable one to undergo death fearlessly. That was what the angel was strengthening Jesus in the garden to do. That was the request that was being granted. The cu- the, that was the cup that was being taken away. Jesus was requesting that the cup of bitterness be replaced with a cup of faith. And therefore, he was able to get up from that prayer, and whenever Judas came and kissed him on his cheek, Jesus was in the place, and he was strengthened enough to allow himself to be arrested and taken away like Superman in handcuffs. All the power to escape, but he kept the faith to endure because God took the cup of bitterness away from his suffering, which is why the writer of Hebrews is able to say just a few chapters later, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that is how we can actually consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. It's actually possible to rejoice in our sufferings, the way that Paul said, because God can take the bitter effect of suffering and replace it with joy. Now, joy in the biblical sense is not an emotional state. Okay? This doesn't mean that we just turn into a bunch of fake Christians, just bubbly all the time, like a bunch of annoying youth group camp counselors and pretending that it's all sunshine and rainbows and the problems and struggles of this world don't exist. No, this should actually lead us to place into a place where we are actually even more authentic and genuine in our faith. Because joy in the biblical sense is a state of assurance. It is a sense of calm in the midst of chaos. It is the assurance that even in the midst of pain, we can still find purpose. It's the assurance that even in the midst of confusion, we can still have confidence in our God. It's assurance that even in the midst of suffering, we can still find strength. And you do not find that kind of assurance in who you are. You find that kind of assurance in whose you are. Because if you are a son of almighty God, if you are a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, your suffering cannot destroy you. That is why Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So will this life press in on you from every side? Yes, but it won't crush you. Will you have times of utter confusion in this life? Yes, but you still have hope. Will you be persecuted and mocked for what you believe? Yes, but you'll never be alone. And will you get struck down from time to time? Yes, but you will get back up because he is working all things out for good because he loves you and you love him and he has a plan and purpose that he is working in and through your life that no form of sin or suffering or any devil of hell can stop. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Jesus suffered in this life, and we are going to suffer too. However, whenever we endure our suffering with faith, God's glory will never be brighter in our lives, and that is what becomes contagious to the rest of the world. Because if you are able to find joy in the midst of your trials and have perseverance and patience in the most difficult times, that is what people are going to notice. And it'll give you one of the most powerful platforms to speak Jesus into their lives whenever they ask you, how how are you able to be calm right now? How are you able to have perseverance? How are you able to have confidence and peace and contentment in your life 
whenever you're going through what you're going through. Because that's what people are really searching for. Sure, we all love the idea of healing in the moment, but what we're really looking for is hope for the struggle. And we cannot share that hope unless we struggle. I had a great pastor tell me one time, a man cannot be greatly used by God until he's first greatly broken by God. He allows us to go through these struggles so we can learn how to endure these sufferings with faith so that, for our last point for today, we can get to the place where God will use our suffering to help others. God's the only one who can turn a trial into a testimony. How many times have you gone through something difficult just to eventually come across someone else who's gone through something similar and then you get the opportunity to speak into their suffering? Tell me, if your trial leads to help someone either to Jesus or to grow in Jesus, would it be worth it? Isn't that exactly why Jesus went through his suffering? To help us? The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience through his suffering, and he says in verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being made perfect literally means to accomplish the end goal. So the end goal of Jesus' suffering was so that we could be saved. He went through what he went through so that he could be the source of our eternal salvation. And again, to quote Peter, he said, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate whenever he was insulted nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. And then in the next two verses, we see the result of his faithful suffering. says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. And I love the way the NLT puts this. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Isn't that beautiful? But you know, he... He won't really be your shepherd. He can't be the guardian of your soul unless you turn to him. In verse 9, the writer of Hebrews says, he is the source of salvation for all those who obey him. Now, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to put on a Greek class for us all, but we have to go back to the original language to really figure out what he's saying here. That term obey, it literally means to listen, to hearken, or properly of one who on the knock at the door comes to listen to who it is. So here, this gives a word picture of you sitting at home, minding your own business, going about your everyday life until you hear a knock on the door. And you go up to the door, and before you open it, you say, who is it? And he says, it's Jesus. Let me in. <laughs> so heaven's version of saving obedience is simply this. Open the door. Let him in. And this is exactly what Jesus said in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 3, verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You see, Jesus wants to spend intimate time with you. That's why he uses the language of sharing a meal there. You could say that one of Jesus' primary love language is quality time. My mom would appreciate that one. <laughs> but he's not going to force his way in, and he's not going to kick down the door. He's going to stand there and knock. 
And it's not even like we got to meet him 50-50, right? It's more like we're meeting him 99-1. He came like 99% of the way. He literally went from heaven to earth. He was crucified, dead, and buried, raised from the dead, ascended back into heaven, sat at the right hand of Father, and sent his Holy Spirit down so he could knock on the door at our hearts. And all we got to do is get up off our lazy butts and go the extra 1%. But he's not going to go the full 100% because he has to leave room for you to have a choice. Why? Because there's no such thing as a one-way relationship. And there would be no love in the relationship if you did not have the opportunity to reciprocate. So God's not after a group of mindless, subordinate robots. No, he's after a loving, intimate relationship with his children. And it's only in that relationship that we can find the strength and the perspective and the fortitude to endure our suffering with faith that we are sure to experience in this life. It is only in that intimate relationship with Jesus that we can confidently say, as David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because the problems don't matter? Because the pain's not going to last forever? Or because I'm going to be okay, I'm going to get through it. No, I will not fear because you are with me. Do not allow your suffering to lead you away from the one who suffered for you. Draw near to him. Whenever you are struggling, whenever you are suffering, that is the time you should be spending the most intimate time with him. And in the context of a message like this, I desperately want you to know that your pain is real. Your hurts, your frustrations, your confusion, they are real and they are completely justified. Because all of us in this room, because we live in a broken world corrupted by sin, we are always in one of three stages or seasons of life. We are either in a season of suffering, going into a season of suffering, or coming out of a season of suffering. It's always going to be that cycle while we still live in this broken, sinful world. So the purpose of a message like this is not to belittle your pain or make light of your suffering. Rather, it's to encourage you that your suffering will not destroy you. Hope is that we can be convicted to not glorify our sufferings and that we can be better equipped to endure our suffering with faith. Because like we're about to sing here in a moment, you still have a reason to praise. You have a God who has prepared a place for you for when the struggles of this life are over. And you have a Savior who is here to hold your hand and stand right by your side the entire time until you get there. That's why Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes right here in this moment, just for a moment of privacy and clarity. We're going to end in a time of worship, but before we get there, again, Paul says, for this light momentary affliction. Now, you might get to hear that, and you might say, Kenny, it doesn't feel light. You might say, it doesn't feel momentary. I know. And you have every right to feel that way. But that is exactly why the throne of grace is available to you, because he knows it hurts. He knows it's painful. He knows it's difficult. And he drew his blood so you could draw near to the Father. So as we close in this time of prayer and worship, use this to draw near to the throne of grace in this moment.
So he can bestow his mercy and his grace over you in your time of need. Now, there might be others of you that might be thinking, Kenny, you know, I'm not really in a time of need right now. Things have been good and you're kind of bringing me down. And praise God for that season. Just use this as a time to allow the power and the love of Christ to pour into your life in a new and fresh way so that if and when the season of suffering comes, you'll be better prepared to endure it with faith. And maybe you feel like you've been in a season of suffering or just coming out of a season of suffering and you, you, need, you know you need to come before the throne of grace in some form or fashion. This altar is open to you. If you need to pray with somebody, you need to talk with somebody, I'll be standing in the back. There will be other of our church leaders and our family members here that would love to talk with you and pray with you more and approach the throne of grace with you. But do not leave this place without doing business with God that you need to do. Father, thank you so much for all of my brothers and sisters in this room. Thank you so much for being a present and caring God in the midst of a difficult, chaotic life. Thank you for being a light in a dark world. And Father, I pray that we would not allow the enemy to cloud our minds and cloud our spirit and cloud our judgment with all of the evils and all the bad things that are all going on around us. I pray instead we would draw near to our Father, we would stay close to you, we would follow the example of Jesus and rest that your will is being done in and through our lives. Father, use us in the good times and the bad times and the pain and the suffering and the joy. Use us to glorify your name in our homes and our schools and our workplaces and our communities, to the ends of this earth, wherever you would send us to in our everyday lives, I pray our lives would be a beacon of glory that brings people to know you better. Father, I pray what happens in this room would not stay in this room. I pray your Holy Spirit would fill us in a new and fresh way right now. I pray that we would understand on a deeper spiritual level than we ever had before in our lives that we can draw near to you. I pray you take us before the throne of grace in our minds and our spirit right now. I pray you work on our hearts and I pray we would cast all of our cares upon you because you truly care for us. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for being such a good father. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we get to be in you. Thank you, we get to be more than conquerors. You're so good to us. You are so good to us. All these things we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you would stand and worship with us one more time. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.